You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. I also took the opportunity to speak with CLSA's Chief Equity Strategist, Alex Redman, asking him about the changing chance of recession happening in the US. I think what's really changed is the choreography of the impending US recession. I think what has ultimately happened is impatience has bred complacency. But just because inflation now is beginning to roll over doesn't necessarily mean that a U.S. recession has gone away. All of the traditional markers for calling a U.S. recession, things like the shape of the yield curve, where the conference board lead economic indicator is, where PMI lead indicators are positioned, are all still giving you an affirmatory signal that the U.S. recession is still coming. Hmm. It's just the timetable has been significantly set back. And just one final point, I think we have to remember that the choreography really tends to start around the time of the Fed pause. That's your sort of anchor in the cycle, is when the Fed pause has come and gone. And historically, over the last 12 episodes of US recessions, which go all the way back to the 1950s, you've had typically about a six-month average lead time between the Fed pause, which of course in this cycle hasn't happened yet, Mm. and the start of the US recession. What's interesting though, is that in the last three US recessions, which include the ones which have happened this century, that lag has now extended to an average of 12 months. Okay. So all the markers are still there the traditional markers of a U.S. recession. It's just the timing was misplaced by market participants. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that just because a U.S. recession didn't manifest itself in 2023 that the risk has now evaporated. So you think the markets are being a bit overambitious then? I think there will be at some point a reckoning as Mm. we go into 2024. And of course, we do have to remember that the US is actually in an earnings recession at the moment already. So, you know, that as as categorized as S&P 500 EPS year on year being negative, that's already happened. But I think as we go into 2024 and we begin to see some of these markers consistently paint the same picture, that ultimately the market will come around to the fact that there probably will still be a US recession. But what we have to be clear about is that it doesn't have to be of the same magnitude as the last two. The last two were extraordinary. You know, one was a global pandemic. The other is the global financial crisis. If you rewind to the two episodes prior to that, which was in the early 90s and the early 2000s, they were of a far more sort of underwhelming nature versus what we've been used to in the last 20, 25 years. And so we do have to remember that you can have a relatively mild US recession. So much we can learn from economic history. Now, you mentioned about the pause and how critical that could be. How will we know there's a pause? Well, ultimately, you get the signalling from the Federal Reserve. So, But these things you always find out ex post. Mm. So similar to the way a a recession is is often backdated by the MBR. You can be in a recession today and not know it. So ultimately, these things are ex post. But the Fed signalling is going to be the most obvious mechanism to identify when that pause is. At the moment... The perspective that I have is that you could very much take a a meeting out in September and not see any policy action by the Fed, but there is still a chance of a final hike in November, really depending on two things. 
One is how fast the shelter component of US inflation is coming down. And let's remember, it's the lion's share of the basket. It's about 34% of the inflation basket in states is shelter. And the other thing is how fast the employment cost index is coming down as well. But we do have to remember that X shelter US CPI is at 1% which is comfortably inside the 2% target. It sounds like we've got to go into a long period. It seems to be data, the way the markets are reacting, because they're seeing how that data is going to affect the interest rate or guessing how it's going to affect the interest rates. So we seem to get good data, bad data, and things seem to be you know, fluctuating quite a lot on that. Do you think we're in for quite a long period of that happening? The exciting thing for the data as far as as I look at it, and of course the focus of my work is more on the Asia-Pacific markets, where of course what's happening in the US is very much integrated into that decision process. But what I find exciting at the moment is how you're having a desynchronization of the policy cycle in favor of emerging markets. And I've been arguing this for some time, that you could see emerging market central banks wholesale pivot well ahead of the Federal Reserve. And this is absolutely critical. And you're beginning to see this outside Asia, but in emerging markets, you're seeing this already. Chile really did fire off the starting gun for EM easing on the 28th of July, followed days later by Brazil, which is now cutting rates. Poland joined in last week. Across Asia, we have a belief that the likes of Indonesia, Malaysia, Korea, Taiwan can all start to ease rates ahead of the Federal Reserve. And some of the work that I do shows the really strong transmission from a real interest rate differential moving in favor of emerging markets to earnings growth moving in favor of emerging markets. And what you're looking at at the moment now is US corporates resetting, refinancing at significantly higher interest rates. And their interest burden now is going up. It's actually become greater than emerging markets for the first time in 12 years. If you look at where interest expenses for US corporates, it's up 68% year on year. That's the highest that I have data for going back four decades. In emerging markets, year on year, interest expenses only gone up 20%. So I see a decoupling at the moment in terms of where interest rates are going between EM and DM and therefore where earnings are going between EM and DM. I see that differential now building up in emerging markets favor and therefore as a result where performance is going to go because relative earnings growth drives relative performance cycles. So I think the data as you say is evolving but there are certain trends that we're getting confirmatory prints of at the moment. And I think one of the more exciting ones is how you're seeing this capacity finally for emerging markets to break away from the Fed policy cycle, to dictate policy according to their own inflation dynamics and the the strength of their external positions, and be less beholden to the Federal Reserve. That's the data I'm looking at at the moment that I find amongst the most interesting. That's the high dollar affecting emerging markets. You're right to talk about the dollar. The dollar is the cornerstone of your emerging market investment philosophy. I think that the chart that is one of the most recognized in the business is the relationship, the coincident relationship between the strength of the, the trade weighted dollar inverted and the relative performance of emerging markets. So we have always typically done well in a weaker dollar environment. You're coming to what 
what we believe is the end of an 11 or 12 year dollar bull market. Hmm. Most of the preconditions we think are now in place for the dollar to weaken from here going forward. What's interesting actually is if you look at speculative positions in the market on the US currency, they have significantly reduced the quantity of net longs on the US currency in just the last couple of months. And that's a very powerful signal. What that's telling you is that market participants are now saying for the first time in years that the US dollar is no longer a one-way bet. And if the market begins to develop that viewpoint, the logical progression from that is that emerging market equities can actually do better in that environment. What about Hong Kong? Now, we're pegged to the dollar. Mm -hmm. How's this affecting our economy? I mean, I I don't think that that peg is going to break any sign soon. You know, there have been every so often that discussion comes up. But myself and our, and our economist uh, here at CLSA uh, is under no illusion that that, uh, that peg is vulnerable at any point. Um, if it were to go, I think it would be a, a, a dislocation which would be difficult to fathom in terms of its impact on Hong Kong. So I think it is one thing perhaps that we can uh, be relatively certain on that will be maintained. You were talking about emerging markets. What are the ones to watch? I mean, this year, it's very much been Latin America. So, you know, Brazil, as I mentioned, is already leading the disinflation trade. Mexico is a clear beneficiary of China plus one strategies. You've seen a significant revaluation of the Mexican peso this year. And the question that I'm asking myself is, you know, when the baton is going to be handed over from the Latin American countries, which have been leading the EM rally at the moment, over to Asia. And I see Asia policy response lagging, Latin America, as I already mentioned, but beginning to kick in through 2024. The other interesting development will be the longevity of the North Asian trade. So Korea, Taiwan have been doing exceptionally well this year. A lot of that has been integrated into the AI theme. And also the fact that their price action in 2022 was so negative that they'd almost discounted fully um, the risk of a US recession. So I still see, you know, I still have Korea as one of my favorite countries across the Asia space. You know, Taiwan, I've recently taken a bit of profits on. I went overweight in in January and have reduced that. Indonesia, uh, I have as a structural overweight. I think it has a lot of the same characteristics that people like, say, for example, about the Indian equity market, but trading on significantly more palatable valuations. Uh, And so I think Indonesia amongst the ASEAN countries is 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 a clear favorite as well. Well, Alex Redman. From CLSA, thank you so much for taking the time to join us this morning on what's a very busy day for you. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me.